The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Midweek Mailbag. We are back for another week of Detroit Lions questions sent over to us via Twitch, via Twitter, via YouTube, wherever you want to send them. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the producer over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me, as always, to break down these questions, to carry me in some instances, particularly <laughs> when we're getting draft questions in February, is the machine, is the uh, managing editor of Pride of Detroit. You can find him at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric Schlitt is here. How are we doing, buddy? I'm, I'm doing good. I was a little worried uh, about you bringing the energy because it was a little uh, we're a little later at night here today, but uh, yeah. y- you were you coming out. I'm trying. Listen, I get a little energized when we go live and I need it. Like maybe we should go live at night more because I'm a little baby. I go to bed early. I'm a morning person. I'm I'm up and writing at 6 a.m., which means I'm ready to go to bed at night. Mm hmm. I uh, I miss those days. (laughs) I miss those days. Now my kids wake up early, so I got to write at night. So it's Mm, uh, that makes sense. It it takes some adjustment, but it's uh, it's worth it. All right. Well, let's get into questions this week. As I alluded to, a lot of draft questions this week. We're going to dip our toe a little bit, but there's there's news to be news to talk about that some of you are curious about. There's obviously free agency that comes before that. That's a big topic as well on this week's show. But let's start with uh, our good friend Jason Krolik at Krolik on Twitter asking about the news of the day, which is what are your thoughts on the coaching changes? How do you think they will fill the opening spot? So let me run through really quickly what the Lions announced today. They announced the Deshae Town hiring which we already knew about although they did call him the defensive backs coach not the cornerbacks coach which is what was previously uh reported by pro football talk i think it was uh terrell williams as well which we already knew about run game coordinator slash defensive line coach they also announced that the lines have a new defensive assistant in jim o'neill and then they didn't announce anything else but their team website did remove six different people who were on there before let me run through them really Ooh. quick senior offensive assistant jim hostler Defensive quality control coach Wayne Blair, defensive line coach John Scott, cornerbacks coach Dre Bly, and defensive backs coach Brian Duker, and then finally senior defensive assistant John Fox. We kind of saw the writing on the wall for John Scott Jr. We were wondering about Dre Bly's future. Uh, it seems like it has been written, and we even noticed a, a couple weeks back that Dre Bly had taken quarterbacks coach out of his profile on social media, so kind of felt like this one is coming. So... Yeah. um What's your what's your initial reaction to all these things? 
Well, I, I guess a lot of them are not unsurprising um, considering the messages that we, like you said, we've been kind of seeing over the last couple of weeks. Um, John Fox being a senior assistant, typically those guys move um, yep. on after a year anyway. So that's not unusual. We knew the Duker news um, getting hired by the Dolphins. Um, like as you alluded to the, the Scott and bull eye things were, you know, um, projected, you know, people were thinking about it. Um, other than that, I mean, other than those two getting confirmed, I don't think any of the other moves were really overly surprising. Um, defense was a problem at times last year, right? And they yeah. tried a lot of different things. Statistically, they're going to be, you know, you're going to look at the rankings. They're going to be in near the bottom in most things, um, except for like run defense, right? Right. Um so I was a little surprised that they didn't maybe reallocate um, John Scott, just maybe like change his role a little bit, but I don't know. Um, you know, the guy um, I'm, I don't know. I'm blanking on his name. Um, Williams, uh, coach Williams that they're bringing in from Tennessee. It's one of the best run defender defensive line coaches in the game. So yeah. they're really just trading out, or they're really just adding to an area that they were already successful. Hopefully uh, they'll be able to add some more coaches to fill the rest of it out. Uh, but no surprise. The secondary is getting looked at. No surprise. The defensive lines getting looked at uh, unsurprisingly, the linebackers who were wildly successful, they didn't get touched. Right. They, they, right? Um, um, so you have, two coaches that coach the linebackers, right? You've got uh, Calvin Shepard, who's of course like the mainstay for the last three years. Uh, but then I don't want to discount Sean Dion Hamilton. Who's sure. when he, he was in camp and then all of a sudden I'm the coaching <laughs> staff. What one off a couple off seasons ago. Right. And he's been there right along and I'm sure he's having a big influence on the, on that, uh, that room as well. So it's a little surprising to see a, oh, you know, like a 75% or 66% overhaul, I guess is what it's going to be. Uh, when it's all said Just and the done defensive coaching roster. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it, it seems like a large amount at the same time, they're bringing in a couple of more proven coaches as opposed to younger guys that they were hoping could develop. Yeah. So it seems like their strategy has shifted a little bit. Um, And we'll have to see, because like, like you said, it's not, they're not done. So, right. There's um, no corner, yeah. no cornerbacks coach on the roster currently, so it makes you think that's probably going to happen. I guess it's not completely unheard of to have a defensive backs coach, and that's it. So you, you don't know that for sure, but like it seems like there's room for a couple more assistants, um, and yeah. and things here and there. I I will say like there is I don't know, and I've I've mentioned this before on on one of our podcasts. Like there is a little bit of anxiety or concern that I have kind of in the back of my head. Not not a pressing one. But like this team has really shuffled through a lot of defensive coaches mm -hmm. in three years. And and listen, if something's not working, you should change it. But for for all the credit that we give Dan Campbell for being able to find good coaches. I don't know if he's done a great job there um, <laughs> on the defense. Right. And I'm not saying these guys aren't qualified coaches. I'm not saying, you know, some of these guys like John Scott's a good coach. He'll find he'll land somewhere and, and continue to coach in, in either this league or college. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, like three defensive line coaches in three years. And I understand, you know, it was a little bit different with the first one. 
I can't remember his name for whatever, but he went to Carolina to be closer to family in, in the same way um, <clears throat> that we saw Deuce leave. Um, defensive backs have been kind of a mess in terms of their coaching staff right now. Like they've they've gone through a lot, and I I don't I don't want to add voice to this concern necessarily, but at some point, maybe like maybe there's a little culpability that falls on Aaron Glenn. Sure. Like if if you're continually rotating the 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 pieces below him and nothing seems to be working, like some of that has to go up the chain a little bit. And I'm not saying Aaron Glenn needs to be fired. Let's let's be clear here, but some something big has to change here too because it's and I don't know I I, I don't again like I don't want to feel like I'm setting off alarm bells here because the defense wasn't atrocious last year it it improved to the number one run defense in the league according to DVOA and that shouldn't be overlooked or or um you know understated but like the past defense was awful at the end of the year it was awful for really most of the year and yeah. and so. Is it a surprise to see when the pass rush was bad and the coverage was bad that the defensive line coach and the secondaries coach leave? Like, no, of course it's not surprising. But at some point, we got to stop the cycle here. We we got to find guys that he, that can either do it or admit maybe the problems are, run a little bit deeper than necessarily the, the the individual positional coaches. Yeah, I think Todd Wash leaving for Carolina um, Wash, was yeah. a was a bit of a blow because. He was a veteran coach who was a defense, former defensive coordinator. And, um, you know, I, the, the story we're, we're sold is that he left to be closer and, but you never know, like, you never know if that's just like saving face on everybody's account. Um, but you know, if we take that at face value and say, Hey, um, he was leaving, that's, that's, it can't be helped, you know, but their, their strategy last year. Both Scott and Bly came from the college ranks, right? Right. Yep. And they just they they either didn't ad- adapt fast enough or just didn't have the answers that they were looking for. And so now you're getting two guys who are veterans. Yeah. One of them's a former former player, and they're both more. They've both been established in the league, and like you're. So you are replacing that's a good these point. raw coaches with veterans, and so ideally you should see a quicker turnaround on that stuff to fill out the roster. You still have to see how things mesh. You still have to see like the types of guys that they bring in. There's still a lot of th- that that's going to unfold, but they seem to be trying to surround Aaron. I mean, Aaron Glenn had a young defense and a young coaching staff. You know right. what I mean? Like sure. that's, that's a hard, it, it, I, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that it, that they weren't overly successful, um, but they did show improvement. Right. Yeah. And you have to hope that, you know, Aaron Glenn keeps those things in mind or, or can keep incorporating those things that they did with the new coaching staff. Yeah. And listen, like obviously personnel is, is a huge part of this equation too, right? right? Like the defensive line didn't have that extra piece that they wanted opposite Aiden Hutchinson, the, you know, who was a capable starter in the secondary, particularly outside corner. But at the same time, Cam Sutton was a heck of a player in Pittsburgh and for him to take a big step back, like that's, yeah. that's unacceptable. Um, and so like, is that Dre Bly's fault? I don't know. Is it, 
it, that's that's what makes it so hard to like digest and react to some of these positional coaches because you don't know what is impacting this player. Maybe he's going through something personally. Maybe he's not fitting in the scheme. Maybe he's getting right. bad advice from his positional coaches. We don't really know, and he's not going to tell us. But I will say that was a very unhappy group of cornerbacks this year, right? Like Cam Sutton kind of shut out from the media towards the end of the yeah. season, and understandably so. Jerry Jacobs wasn't very happy getting benched, I'm sure, and and dealing with injury. And it, it, it was just a, a frustrating situation all around for most of that secondary outside of guys named Brian Burns and Fatou Melifant. Brian Branch. I wish Brian, we had Brian, Brian Burns. I'm sorry. I, I was just, I you know him. what? Man. Nah, I was just bring, reading about how he's getting him on the tagged roster. and he's likely getting tagged and he slips <laughs> into the consciousness but, there. But anyways. That's, a, that's, that's a game changer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else before we move on? No, I have a theory okay. on Cam, but I know we have another question coming up that surrounds Cam. So I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna hold on. Do you want me to jump to that one? Oh, if you want, you can. I'm trying to remember what it is or where it is. No, oh, okay, uh, here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. It was actually the second to next question, so we'll jump to it. Uh, between the numbers on Twitter asks, "What early narrative this offseason do you think has become bigger than it should be?" And vice versa, what isn't being talked enough? And then he says, for example, Sutton's track record should cut him some more slack that he's gotten, or if Ian Kirby's lack of track record should be under more scrutiny. I, I, I'm with the Cam thing being overblown a bit um, because I do think Cam has a, a, a track record of success. Um, I think he got put on an island, and you got to remember, this, he is – been wildly successful as his own corner his over his career sure. and they started the year out in plain zone and he seemed comfortable when they shifted to more man heavy uh in the latter parts of the year that's when he struggled because i don't think that's necessarily where he's suited best right and so i don't think the lines are necessarily going to like pick one or the other and go man heavy or zone heavy like from now on i think they're going to try and strive more towards balance but i think how cam responds is going to be a big storyline for their defensive success because he's going to start like he, yeah. he is he's he's going to be one of their stars you can't replace both starting corners in an offseason easily right and so you he's going to play and if you can get a guy that's strong opposite him, that's going to make his job easier. Right. If you are playing more schematic situations that, that can help him, great. That's going to benefit everybody, right? Um, but I think he got, I think he gets, he's getting a lot of uh, negative attention right now. Sure. And, and, and I, I, I think that might be a bit unwarranted in my opinion. I think he was in a really bad situation. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's the optimist. Maybe it's the optimist to me, but I, I look at his track record and I say, man, he's been a good player for a long time and he had a tough end of the season. And so uh, I do think that's a little bit overblown. And so is there concern? Certainly. Yeah. I just think it's a bit overblown. I agree. I will say a separate concern with that whole situation, which is not really being talked about, is what you just said. Like they transferred to more, not like a, a crazy amount of man, but like yeah, like they that, used to do. Right. It, it wasn't it wasn't that lopsided, but 
it also feels like they saw the most success there, right? Like they started getting more disruption numbers. They they started blitzing more. They started forcing more turnovers. Yeah. It's and, Glenn. Right. And and that and I think that might be what Glenn wants to do. And if that's what Glenn wants yeah. to do, then you kind of have to go back and question, was Cam the right signing? Uh, because well, that's the thing, right? Because yeah. I think they went into 2023 thinking they were going to play a lot of zone. You know, don't don't ask Aaron Glenn a question about playing more zone. He will, <laughs> he will attack back. But that's what they were doing early in the year. And maybe that's what they thought they were going to, that they had the personnel for that. And so now you have to wonder, well, now are they stuck wanting to do something with a player that doesn't fit that as well. Like he can play man, but it's just, it's clearly not strength. So that to me is a little bit of a concern going into 2024. Yeah. He's, he's such a cerebral player. Yeah. Though. Right. Um, and our good buddy, Brett Whitefield in the chat is pointing out that he was injured uh, yeah. down the stretch as well. And so Look. that probably, that probably factored in as well. Um, but mm. I, I just think that's a little overblown. Yeah. Um, I, got, I got another narrative that's overblown. Please. Kicker. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. Like, I know everyone wants a <laughs> kicker. I know everyone wanted Dan Campbell to kick field goals in the NFC championship game. I'm not convinced this team is, is prepared to spend a lot of resources on a kicker. And I, and I'm also not entirely sure that they should like, listen, I, I've said since they let Matt Prater go that I think they made a mistake and it would be very, very nice to have a long range kicker and you see it in the Super Bowl, right? The two teams set records, blah, 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 blah. Dan Campbell is not going to slow down going for it. He's just not. That's the question, right? He It's the question we always come to is the chicken or the egg, right? right? Does he go for it because he doesn't have a big league kicker? Does he not have a big league kicker because he likes to go for it? Right. Um, which one do you lean towards? I, I think he just loves going for it. I think he so, sees so the I. value in going for it. And I'm I and I agree with it. The the only the only time that this strategy will get them in trouble is at the very end of games. If they are in a situation where they have 30 seconds to get in field goal range and that extra 10 yards of comfort plays a huge part. But how many times did they run into that situation last year? Zero. Like zero. Right. And and the one time they were in like mediocre field goal range in in against Los Angeles, the Chargers. Patterson hit it. Well, they just threw it another time. Like they could have kicked a field goal earlier. They could have ran the ball. They're like, no, let's get another 10 yards. And they did. It was like a 38 or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Within Patterson's range. So, I mean, listen, if you want to win the Super Bowl, you might be put in that situation where you need to kick Mm -hmm. a field goal at the end of a half and you don't have enough time to get in side a, a 50 yard field goal but that that is a few and far between thing and so people talking about drafting a kicker in the third round in the fourth <laughs> round i hope i i can't say for sure brad holmes won't do anything like that because i never really talk in absolutes like that but i hope to god he will no i don't think he would either i, I just don't think yeah. the values the values there in his mind um i could see them draft a kicker but not yeah, I mean, if you do it in, in round six or round seven, I don't care. You're, yeah. you're, you're essentially just drafting special teamers in those rounds anyways, right. typically. So, right. That's fine. Now, don't draft a long snapper, but like. <laughs> oh, Jimmy Land is getting strays here on the midweek mailbag. Well, I didn't say his name. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you think there's anything that's not being talked about enough with this offseason? Um, and, and that question was posed as concerns, concerns. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. 
I think that maybe it's just uh, recency bias because I just posted the article today, but I wrote an article about offensive tackles to watch in the draft because it could be a top 100 need that they could draft a tackle that could just be their OT three in round three. And it wouldn't be surprising. And it's like people thought like I was like talking about selling the team. Like that was saying like Dan Campbell's got to go, got to sell it. We're going to move it. We're going to move it to Grand Rapids, right? Like you need depth. When you have a good team, you draft depth in the third round. Like, and they, they, Taylor Decker's in a contract year. Like I laid it all out, but like, there's a couple of like positions on this roster and the mo- a lot of depth positions that people are just completely overlooking and dismissing. Like yeah. they don't have a, a, a wide receiver X. Now they haven't really a, a real wide receiver X for, for three years. Maybe they don't need one. Maybe they don't want one. But like, if they do, they don't have one right now. Like they don't have either guard. We all know that's a thing, but like, they also don't have a third tackle. Like they also, or, you know, or a we second all, tight end. Right. Well, they have a third. I mean, if you count, depending on how you view Mitchell, right? Right. Like, yeah. Don't, you know, James Mitchell's still, he's still good. That's true. Um, but, but like, there's a couple of these like low key, like, important needs that are just getting completely overlooked. And when you even bring up the idea that they need to be addressed, it's like you've like insulted their mother or something. It's, I, uh, it's crazy. To well, me, I, right? it, what I think it is, is Lions fans have become so accustomed to having so many needs that if, if you're talking right. about drafting a non immediate need mm-hmm. in the, in the, in day one or day two, they're like, what are you talking about? Why would you do that? <laughs> so, um, four years ago, uh, I wrote an article about every team need. Now this was for the 90 man roster. Yeah. And I said, here are the 21 specific <laughs> needs that I think that they will address. Yeah. And a couple of radio stations picked it up and they were like, the lions have 20 <laughs> needs. And I was like, okay, one of them is backup nose tackle. Like <laughs> right, it was like, right. I was like, call, call, like, but like they're going, they have a lot of different spots to fill. Yeah. I, I have a whole bunch of like on my whiteboard behind me, I have a whole bunch of little need stickers all over the place because they're going to want to fill those spots on the 90. But like, when you have a good team, you're not, we, and we've talked about this. They might, the only starter they might get out of this draft might be the guy they get in the first round. Right. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like they are, they have, they have depth everywhere. They have money and free agency where they can fill some holes and he, you know, and with like guys that are probably not going to be challenged. And so think about the third rounders that they've you know, gone after in the past. Look at last year's third rounders, Hendon Hooker and Broderick Martin. Right. They, they, Neither they, they played like nine snaps <laughs> combined, right? That's a, those are, th- that's, that is what your third rounders are now. Yeah. So look, everybody loves a mock draft machine, except for you. And true. you can, in those mock draft machines, there's all these guys that you're like, Oh, Dude can start in the third round. Well, yeah, he can start now because we haven't hit free agency, right? And we haven't filled these other holes in. Like, but when the draft comes, that guy that you're getting in the third round is going to be a backup, like on this roster, because this roster is is deep enough. And so, like, 
it's okay to talk about drafting a guy in the third round as an insurance option for Taylor Decker, a guy who can be be there because of injury. Maybe he can do other things. Like these are things that good teams address. And so I think a lot of those backup roles are being wildly undersold right now. Yeah. And and also like third rounders shouldn't be starting on your football team. Acro- like all I mean, across the board in general. Like if you're starting a third rounder right off the bat, it means your team's bad. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, because look, look at, look at the lot when the lions draft, when the lions were bad, uh, when Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell took over their first, second, third, two thirds. And well, no, I'm sorry, not the second. Yeah. Two, two fourths, two thirds and a first all start. Right. And they all start now because they were, that was a bad team. Yes. And, and to it's be clear, not, I'm not saying third round picks can't be starters. I'm just saying in their rookie year, they shouldn't be. We see all like last year is a perfect example. We saw a couple mid round picks finally click in year three. That's how it usually works. Um, and so, I mean, you can find talent. You guess uh, you can throw your Amon Ra St. Browns in the chat. I understand. Sometimes Dude, Amon Ra didn't start. Didn't but he, start yeah, till the second half. Okay. The second <laughs> half of that rookie season is when he started. I think we all like which forget is, because he was insane. He was the best receiver on that team. He should have been starting right. from the jump. Yes. But like, but yes, even he, yeah. the all pro before he was a pro bowler, Amon Ra was still fell victim to that. Like, this is a uh this is a roster that isn't going to need. To to it's going to be a different strategy again, yeah. like a completely different strategy than what we saw last year. And we're going to get into more draft strategy when we come back from our break, because it's time to take a break here on the midweek mailbag. We'll be right back. More lions questions, more lions answers, and that's it. That's how a midweek mailbag works. You, you nailed it. All right, we'll be right back. And we are back here on the midweek mailbag, answering your questions live on Twitch and YouTube. Join us Tuesday, Wednesday, sorry, Wednesdays, uh, if you want to be a part of these live shows where we also spend about an hour in between segments answering more questions that you guys hear on the podcast feed. Um, subscribe to us on YouTube. Subscribe to us on Twitch. There's a ton of awesome bonus content there that's not even just podcast stuff. There's stuff that never makes a podcast. Great YouTube content over there by our good buds, Miko and Morgan. But anyways, let's talk about the podcast at hand. Let's get to more questions here. Let's move next to Jacob at Jacob and a whole bunch of numbers after that on Twitter. Asked, do you see Brad Holmes trading up in the early 20s for a position like corner or edge? I just don't know if one is going to fall to 29. I could see him trading up for anybody. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to be corner or edge. Yeah, uh, He's done it before. And I fully expect it to be in his range of thought. Um, they're going to have a limited number of guys they have first round grades on. Uh, what was the number last year? 14, right? Yep. So they're going to probably have, a, I mean, let's just for argument's sake, just say it's 14 again. 
there's going to be a handful of the guys that they don't have first round grades on, they get picked. And then if one of those guys, or if they're down to their last couple of guys and they're like, Oh man, we got, we want to get one of these guys. I absolutely could see him trade up and that could be at almost any position. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't love it. I've, I've made it known more than one time. I don't love general managers that make a habit out of trading up, but based on track record, Brad Holmes is very much not afraid to do that. Um, and so I'm kind of of the belief here that like your, your team is so solid right now that sit on your hands and just take whatever's given to you. Like you don't need to get aggressive. You don't need to waste draft capital. You don't need to get rid of future draft capital. Stay, stay like in this, you know, having all of your draft picks mode which you do this year outside outside of upgrading a fourth to a third, like you want to keep that going. Your specialty in terms of roster building is the draft. You're very, very good at that. Don't take away assets unless you absolutely have to. And I don't think they are going to be a spot in the spot, that kind of spot when they get to the NFL draft where they have to have someone. I say it over and over again. You're probably going to hear me say it every other podcast. They're going to fill all their re- needs in free agency. They're going to go into the draft thinking, let's just get our guys. And knowing sure. that they have very specific things in mind, knowing that they had 14 first round grades last year and they were able to get four of them, including two in the second round. There's going to be one of those guys available to them at 29. It's not guaranteed, obviously, when, you know, 14 guys, 29 picks. But the way that this team values certain things, I think it's it's unique in a way that he's going to have an option at one of his top guys when they're there at 29. And and last year was a bad draft, right? Like he kept saying, it's a bad draft. There's there's probably going to be more than 14. Yeah, and, and again, he looks at the board differently than any other team is going to look at the board, right? And and there's some teams are going to look at the board and they're going to have, you know, their quarterbacks are going to be ranked high, whereas like they he may not even consider quarterbacks uh, at all, right? Because of right. depending on what happens or what we expect to happen. And so all those teams, and there's going to be teams that like guys that he doesn't. Right. Of course. That's, that's so common. Right. And so um, you're, you're Jalen Carter's let's call them. Sure. <laughs> I mean, look, they, they, they said branch was one of their top 14 and they got him in the forties. Right? right. I mean, like, right. so it, they're they could they may sit there and the guy and the guy they have a high grade on a first round grade on falls to them at the same time. I could see him saying that's the guy we want. Yeah. And I still have free money from the Hawkinson deal. Why not use that to sure. you know what I mean? Like yeah. So um next question, very much uh, on this topic from one of our Pride of Detroit direct sub- subscribers, Mark B um says what we just said, you know, he had 14 grades, uh, first round grades last year, and that he's never seen more than 20 in a single year. So obviously there's no way to know that number in 2024, but is there a consensus about the overall quality of the 2024 draft compared to 2023 in years prior? I I Googled this answer because I don't have a grasp on, on this year's draft class yet. And I, I just Googled if anyone was answering that sort of question, like what is your overall thoughts. Is this a deep class? Is this a shallow class? I couldn't really get a consensus from, from anybody that I saw, but do you have maybe any idea of, of what this draft class ranks in terms of top heavy talent or at least just talent overall? Well, it's, it's very offense heavy, 
Yeah. Um, at the top. Great. Right. Well, like I said this to you, and I don't remember if I said it on air or if I said it off air, but it would not surprise me to see the top 10 picks only be quarterbacks, offensive tackles, and wide receivers. Yeah. Like I could see four quarterbacks, three offensive tackles, and three wide receivers as the first 10 picks. You know what I mean? Or maybe it's the first sure. 11, like one defender sneaks in there or something, right? But yeah. like that's kind of how I see it. There's some really, really good tackles. Um, and in all, <clears throat> excuse me, in all honesty, there's another couple that you could still argue might go in the top 15 or 16. Um, and then there's, it's a loaded wide receiver class. I think the quarterback, it's, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy of, 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 of prospects this year, because there's, there's a few more guys that are in the mid round or in like the maybe day two range that you don't normally get. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I mean, I don't know how many, I think we're going to see at least, we're going to see four going to top 11. Let me put it that way. Um, Hello Vikings. So, right. Uh, so from an offensive standpoint, it's very friendly. If you're looking for one of those like spots from a defensive standpoint, the spot to be is in like the, you know, 12 on, right? Like 12 to 32. Yeah. There's not elite players on defense at the premium positions, but that doesn't mean that there's, that there's not really, really good players. Right. Right. Like there's not a sauce gardener, but there's a couple of the really good corners. There's not an Aiden Hutchinson, but there's a couple of really good edge rushers that are going to go. And you're going to see more defensive guys, in my opinion, kind of like bunched up in like in that like 10 to 50 range. You're going to see a lot of really good quality defensive players come off the board as well as offensive players. Sure. Um, but like there's a couple. It, it, so while you're missing the elite talent, I think there's a little bit more depth at in the in the first and second round of those guys. Like there's a couple defensive tackles. Norm, we haven't seen defensive tackles go very high in a while, right? There just hasn't been a quality that quality of player. And so, I mean, outside of yes, last year's um, you know question mark. And so. Um, there's a couple of guys, but again, those guys are probably going like in the twenties, right. but that's still uh, having a couple of them available. It's, it's, it's just a couple more options. So it's not so like overall it's a, it's there's, there's a lot of depth, but the only real elite talent I think is on the yeah. offensive side of the ball. And so it's, so it's an okay year for a team like Detroit to be picking later because you're just going to take the best guy no matter what. And you're not going to be, feeling the the burn or, or you know to pick one of those elite talents or the need to try and go up and get one because you have a need at one of those spots. And I think that overall outlook lends to taking care of some of these needs in free agency. Not that you weren't going to do that anyways, but like like we were kind of talking about earlier, if you want to get and I, this might have been during the break. Um, if you want to go get a high, a top tier cornerback 
in free agency, do it, but also don't be afraid to follow that up by also drafting one. Because mm-hmm. listen, if if you if you don't get a sauce gardener at 29, but you get a really good player, it's okay if that guy sits in year one. It's okay if that guy learns from good players on the roster, gets coached up, and then plays in year two. That's okay. You'd prefer to get, you know, immediate contributors, but I think I think last year has tainted us. Like, we're not going to get four immediate starters out of this year's draft. We're just not. The roster is in a much better spot, and uh, it would be it'd be silly to expect that kind of hit rate anyways. So if your first round pick doesn't start right away, like, don't freak out. That's OK. And 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 to have that sort of depth is something that this team needs anyway. So, um that's where I'm at. All right. Next question. Let's let's get into a little cap space talk. At Brad Holmes's bulge asks, let's talk about cap space. Describe how, in theory, a Jared Goff extension could open up cap space this year and how an Amon Ra extension could increase his cap space this year. His cap hit, I think he meant this year. Because you can't really you can't really make room on Amon Ra's contract by extending him this year because he only costs like what one one million one point two five. Right, he's on the fourth year of a fourth round pick salary. So Amon Ra is the third highest cap hit amongst wide receivers on the Lions. Right. <laughs> so you can't you can't convert any of that salary into a signing bonus. Like you're gonna you're gonna give Amon Ra a signing bonus which will like alone triple or quadruple or you know six or seven times right. his cap hit what it is right now. Like there's just there's no uh, if you give him a Forty million guaranteed signing bonus over four years. That's ten million added to the cap. It automatically right now, and so you can't create. You're you're, you're just not going to create any space with Amar. He's going to take probably around that. He's, like he's probably going to cost ten ish million more against the cap than he currently is. But you can create that sort of room, that room, and maybe even more. Mm-hmm. By extending Jared Goff, do you want to kind of go into how that works? So Goff is currently scheduled to make $32.3 million as far as cap hit. Okay. Um, But when you sign him to an extension, you typically backload the contract. And if you want to understand like what that looks like, just look at the contract that he signed when he arrived in Detroit. His first year, his cap hit was ten point six million in his first year. Then it went up to thirty one point one, and then thirty point, uh, almost thirty one, and then now it's right about thirty two. So they typically Lions like to make that first year really low, right? And to give you another example of like how that works, we were talking about Cam Sutton the other uh, earlier too. Cam Sutton signed a three-year, $33 million deal, but his cap hit last year was $3.3 million, right? And then he makes $12 million and then $12 million uh, the two years after that. So the Lions like to give that first year at about a third or a quarter of the cost of what the average is. So if he gets a $45 million contract that per year or a $50 million contract per year, 
his first year cap hit might be by a, if it's a third, that's $15 million. Right. So if Jared Goff signs an extension and that first year is just $15 million, he is saving you $17 million this year in the cap. So a Jared Goff extension, while overall is going to cost, it will not cost the Lions immediately based on their contract design history. Right. And, and just to get a little bit technical, Basically, the way they do that is taking away salary, lowering what you're getting paid annually and paying a lot of that in terms of your signing bonus, because your signing bonus gets spread out each year evenly of the length of the contract. So if you give someone a $40 million signing bonus over four years, that only counts $10 million against the cap every year. So you'll see something like that where Jared Goff is going to have like a $3 million salary and it'll sound like, oh, my God, you're only paying him $3 million? But it, it's going to come with 90 million guaranteed. So he he gets the 90 million in his pocket right away. That goes in his pocket, but it gets mm-hmm. spread out in terms of its cap hit across the length of the contract. And so that's how they do it. Really low salary in year one, but you get all that signing bonus right up front. So it's not like you're not paying the guy right away or you're kicking the money down the line. To use the golf example again, the one that he signed it when he was in Detroit. He had a $20 million signing bonus. So that was $5 million spread over four years. And then they made his base salary $5 million as well. So, right. and then that was it. He had $5 million base salary, $5 million signing bonus, $10 million cap it. That was yep. pretty much how it worked. And then the base salary went up to $10 million the next year, $20 million in the next year, and then it's $20 million again this upcoming year. And so, like, it's, it's all adjusted and it's done strategically. Where you can really see how the Lions big picture this whole thing is when you look at how they organize their position groups, they tend to, especially at like offensive line, they tend to stagger when those cap hits are going to happen. And they will often even disrupt like that natural increasing flow. For example, let's look, if you look at Frank Ragnow's contract, Frank his first year of his big contract extension was only $4 million he made. Then it went up, then it doubled and it went to eight. Then it doubled again and it went to 16. Then this year it drops down to 12.8. Right. And then it goes back up to 14 and then back up to 16 after that. Well, it drops to 12.8 this year. Why? Well, because Taylor Decker's in the last year of his contract and it's at the and, and Taylor Decker's is at its highest. 19 so what the Lions are doing, what the Lions do here is they're saying our our stud left tackle is going. This is when he's going to hit at the at his highest peak. So let's stru- we're restructuring Frank. Let's restructure Frank's to dip at in that same year yep. so that we can we we're not we're not we're paying a relatively even amount with the, between these two guys that we know we're not moving on from. So they do this with their offensive line. They do this with some of their other big position players and they try and strategically place these big cap hits at different points so that they're not going to end up, you know, being in in cap misery like a lot of these other teams are. Yep. Playing 40 chess, looking at years down the road in terms of cap hit is it's an important way to, to balance the budget. Um, speaking of balancing the budget, uh, we have another question here about the salary cap, but not quite as technical, um, from facetious fool asks, 
A lot about how much is being spent on the offensive line, but according to Spot Trek, the Lions are in the middle of the road, just under the Giants and over the Steelers. Even with Sewell needing a contract semi soon, doesn't this mean we should re-sign Jonah Jackson? Um, okay, a lot to unpack here because yes, current cap dollars spent on the offensive line, according to Spot Trek, the Lions are 18th in offensive line spending, which sounds like oh my god, that's totally reasonable. Last year they were first. The problem is they have eight guys under contract. Taylor Decker, yeah. Frank Ragnow, Pinay Sewell, and a bunch of guys that aren't going to make the team and Colby sourced on the second year of a six year contract or six round contract. They, they don't only need to sign two, two starters, which will significantly raise their cap, probably already closer to top 10. At that point, they need a tackle. They need another backup guard. They probably need uh, another backup guard. Like they need eight guys. Well, they have Aushika is an ERFA, so he could take up one of those. spots. Okay. And that would not take up much salary cap. That would take up almost none. Right. But you need a couple of backups is your point. You need a couple of starters and a couple of backups. Right. So you're going to invest in at least four guys that are beyond that are going to be beyond the minimum. And so, yeah, you're going to invest. And with those starters, even if one of them is Graham, you're going to invest. You're going yep. to have to invest it at two positions in a big way. Um, if you dra- if you draft both those spots, it's going to save you a little bit now because you're going to have those rookie contracts. But you're spending draft capital instead of cap capital. You know what right. I mean, right? So, um, yes, you can re-sign Jonah, but you have to have a plan to do it, and you have to know. Okay, maybe we don't make Jonah's lowest cap at this year maybe we make it next year because that's when Penny Sewell's fifth year contract kicks in and so we want to be able to offset that and then you got to look ahead you know like and and you have to make sure that you can balance what you want with what the player is going to want because the player and his agent are going to be trying to maximize that dollar amount and in all honesty they might get more money in free agency than they might get from Detroit and that's that's just the reality of how the free agent market works. If he hits, if he hits uh, March, you know, middle of March, and he's not signed yet, he's probably going to go and test it, and he's probably going to get offered double digit millions. And uh, I think that's a bit of a question mark on whether the Lions are willing to do that with him this year, knowing what they have in their coaching staff, knowing what they have in, uh, already invested in the offensive line. And knowing, you know, that they're going to have some big dollar amounts coming down the road. Um, I think you can make it work. Personally. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, listen, I I don't want what I just said to make it sound like don't resign Jonah Jackson. They can they can certainly make it work. Work. Yeah. Um, the question is, is, is he worth it? Like, I, I think I think it's not a salary cap issue. It's is the player worth what he's going to want? Because this is his first time, his first opportunity to cash in. He has a Pro Bowl under his belt teams outside of Detroit are going to see that and be like, Oh, he had a bad year because he was injured. He's going to be phenomenal. I'm going to pay this guy 15 million a year. Like he can Mm -hmm. get paid in the mark in the, in the free agent market. So the question then becomes, are the lines going to be willing to match that is Jonah? Does Jonah really, really like it here and maybe take a little bit of a discount to stay? Maybe, but I, I, I mean, you can also like the lines are getting to a point where they're going to like start playing the 
compensatory pick game. And and those sort of things have to start coming into mind. Jonah Jackson is one of those guys. CJ Gardner Johnson could be one of those guys. They 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 could find themselves with a little extra draft capital next year. Um because they're 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 gonna have to make some tough decisions on on players that you may not may not normally let go. But you know, at the same time, the lines might be active in free agency in a way that they they haven't. And if that's the case, then maybe it negates some of those things. Right. All right. Next question, probably the last question here, and we're going to stick with the offensive line here, and I'm going to gonna twist the knife a little bit on you, Eric, because I know you don't love this question, but oh. we're going we're gonna to do it anyways. Uh, John Johnson on Twitter asks, is there any chance Decker moves to guard? Would no. his skill set translate inside? Hold on. Wait. Oh, okay. And if Holmes has the top tackle in the draft he falls in love with, is Decker moving a viable option? Now, I, my reaction is the same to yours. Like, no, this isn't going to happen. But the reason why I picked it, and I'm not trying to single anyone out and, and bury them, it's actually quite the opposite. Because I heard this thrown out by John Jansen on 97.1. And I respect sure. the hell out of John Jansen. He's a former offensive lineman. I don't yeah. think he would propose this sort of things haphazardly. So I like when he said that, I'm like, that's crazy but it just came from a former NFL offensive lineman. Maybe I need to go back and reconsider this a little bit more. Let me ask you this. They weren't willing to move Decker from the left side to the right side when they have the best offensive tackle in the league on the opposite side of Taylor Decker. (laughs) They're not going to move. They're not going to. And when you ask Taylor about it, which people have, he basically says, "I've I've never played card. I don't I, It'd be like completely relearning something new and you're not going to pay somebody $19 million to play a new position. Okay. You're going to play him there and you're going to take your tackle. If you take your tackle, you're going to move that tackle and try that tackle somewhere else before you're going to move your veteran. That's it. They're, they're, I, I will stand on that hill and die because <laughs> I am that confident in, in, yeah. in that. Now let's look at this from a if they got the top tackle in the draft. Okay, there are four tackles that could that are going to go in the top half of this round and uh, top half of this draft probably, and three of them probably in the top ten. Like I said earlier, you're not dra- you're not trading up to get the top guy. Okay, yep. you're just not. You don't have that firepower. It wouldn't make any sense. You wouldn't. You don't want a Ricky Williams uh, of this draft for Joe Alt. Okay, so are there other tackles? Yes, this is a deep class. This is a very deep offensive line class. And what's really interesting about this offensive line class is there are about six or seven guys that can play tackle or guard that I think are going to go in the top 100. Okay. And so I would rather roll my dice on a, on a rookie who I think who either has played both spots or can play both spots, as opposed to trying to trade the farm to go up to get a guy who I think is going to be, you know, a high level talent and then moving my $19 million left tackle to a new spot that he hasn't played eight years into his career. So I'm very comfortable with this draft class. And there are a lot of guys that I think could come in play guard for a year and then shift back out uh, to right tackle. If you move on, if you decide to move on from Taylor Decker next year, which again, I don't think is a given either. Okay. But I agree. Look, he's an important part of this team. He just is. 
and they love the crap out of him. And so, uh, and he feels wanted and respected. And I think he gets another contract. They're not moving him. I, I, I get the question. We get it all the time. I, I hope to put a nail in the coffin on this, on this topic though, because they're not moving them. I, honestly, that's exactly what I wanted from you. Like I, I like, and it, I don't want it to seem like it was, we're trying to disrespect the question because I get, I get why people are curious, right? Yeah. Decker is getting towards the end of his career and it, it, it would like, if he could just magically play left guard, seems like that might solve a lot of problems, but, but I'm with you. Like, I, I think the the key point there, other than like, I don't think Taylor Decker would move or the Lions would have any interest is the Lions aren't going to have their shot at a top offensive tackle. You don't see a lot of offensive tackles that start in this league that are picked after pick 20. Um, and, and the Lions aren't going to push the envelope here where they don't have to when they have a capable left tackle for at least a couple more years. They have the best right tackle. They can find a guard in day two. It seems like this is this is just like forcing an issue that doesn't need to be forced. So I don't want to talk long on it because I think you hit everything that I was going to say anyways and you you nailed it. Um there there is a there is a weird obsession that seems to be of, of moving Taylor Decker, which is the weirdest thing to me is this team had had struggled to find a like consistent long term left tackle for so long and the lines have had it for almost a decade now and always seem to want to mess with it for some reason but i get it you we're, the the left guard position is is a major issue and um you have like you said the best offensive tackle so you're like okay well move him to left we got a we got a left guard now now all we got to do is find a right tackle but again how long how long did we go like to before we found that before a, a starting worth Go back and look at the right tackles before Penesul that this team went through. Whether I mean, it started with Vi, start it would start going backwards with Vitai. Mm-hmm. Like beyond that, I mean, I, I wish I could, I can even remember a single name, but there's a reason I can't remember a single name because right tackle Rick Wagner, great one from the the, the chat. Like spent a lot of money on him, did not work out too well. You got your two tackles. Are, two tackles. Yeah, no, yeah. Like I think they're more apt to find a guard who can play tackle in a pinch or a, I, I do think they're going to be looking for some positional flexibility, Yeah, but I think it's going to be a guy who's a better guard who can shift a tackle as opposed to a tackle who can shift the guard. And you're yeah. like forcing him to play guard inside for a year. Like I think they're going to draft a guy who, or if they're going, if they were going this route, if they're going to acquire, yeah. uh, I think they would acquire a guy who can play guard and then maybe another position and maybe that other position center because, you know, a couple of years from now, you're worried about Frank's toe becoming an issue, which I'm not worried about that. Um, but maybe they are and maybe they want to have that insurance because they maybe they're like, hey, we need to have a, a guy who can play center other than Graham or maybe Graham gets an insane contract from someone else and uh, decides to leave. I don't see that happening. Um, I know you're watching Graham. Don't do it. There's no way he's coming back. Um, So I could see that I could, I could see them taking a a offensive lineman or two. Yeah. Yeah. With some range at the same time. I don't expect them to, I expect the newcomers to shift into what's existing. 
right? Yeah. Like, would you, could you move Graham to left and put him next to Taylor in between his, his two best friends in the entire world? <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> yeah, that's an, that's a non-issue because because Graham is that flexible. Like he can right. play he can play all three spots at a high level. So, like, I'm not worried about left guard, right guard. I'm not worried about that. Um, but why move this? Why move the strongest piece of your offense around too much? Yeah, I, I just they're gonna let's get Graham back, and then let's see what happens at that other spot. Maybe it's Jonah when this is a a meaningless conversation that we're having. But yeah, maybe. Shout, by the way, shout out to our live audience, and probably you guys listening at home for shouting Gaster chairless. And uh, <laughs> Riley Reef and all the turnstiles of right tackles that have been on the scene. Cornelius Lucas. Cornelius Lucas. Good one. <laughs> oh, man. Once Cornelius Lucas is brought up, that means it's time to go. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you haven't already, make sure you're giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating over on Spotify or wherever you guys listen to. Maybe you want to jump over to YouTube. Leave a comment. Give us a sub. Twitch, subscribe, follow, whatever. We appreciate all of your support and we appreciate you just listening and downloading. That's good enough too. But until next time, for Eric, I'm Jeremy. It's chaos. Be kind. <laughs>